Welcome back to the Pro Series Podcast. This is episode 111, and today's guest is Scott P. Smith. Scott is a real estate agent out in Colorado and the owner of You First Realty. We talk all about real estate agents, um, being, having your own brokerage, um, today's state of real estate, and so much more. So if you're a real estate agent, this is the episode for you. But before we get into the episode, please like, subscribe, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. And now I hope you enjoy episode 111 with Scott P. Smith. Scott, thank you so much for hopping on the Pro Series podcast uh, today. I can't wait to talk to you and um, learn more about you and your uh, profession. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, well, let's start off and you just ex- talking to us a little bit about what you do for a living and um, your business and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, so I run a real estate brokerage. I worked in real estate for a number of years. Uh, loved the brokerage that I worked with. And about three years ago, that brokerage decided they wanted to start selling franchises. So kind of worked with them through that process of building out what the franchises were going to look like. Gotcha. And about a year and a half ago, I bought the first franchise. And so went out on my basically on my own. Uh, what I love about the system, though, is they still handle all the training. So, I'm, I mean, I get to do the day-to-day stuff, but a lot of the back end is handled for me, and I love that. Uh, so I've been, you know, a standard real estate brokerage for a long time, been a regular real estate agent for about six years. And I've recently got into wholesaling. I used to invest uh, buy and hold back in the early 2000s. I owned a small mortgage company, and we helped you know, we did mortgages and we also did small business financing. And I bought and hold real estate back then, kind of like a lot of people in 08, 09 went through, you know, giving back the bank, everything I owned, resetting yeah. my life. Uh, jumped back into corporate America for a few years and then got to a point in my life where my mid 40s, where it was either keep working for somebody else or make a break and do something on my own. And I knew it was my last opportunity. So, uh, got back into real estate, loved it, never looked back. And yeah, that's kind of what brought me to where I am today. Yeah, for those who are maybe listening and don't know a lot about real estate, can you explain the difference between just b- being an agent and a brokerage, a broker? Absolutely. So being an agent, you're just an individual helping people buy and sell homes. Uh, being a Being a broker owner means that I'm working with a team of people who are out there being helping people buy and sell homes. I still close probably between 15 and 30 deals a year on my own, just kind of depending on um, what the market looks like. But Mm -hmm. I also work with a team of 13 agents who are out there uh, hustling every day. Some of them full-time, some of them part-time really just depends on, uh, you know, their own individual businesses. That's very cool. So when it comes to your company, you, you say they're starting to franchise and is it all around the United States? So that's the goal right now. I mean, it was kind of a weird time. We got started right at the end of COVID. As I mean, we start, we planned for the franchises all through COVID, and then uh, right at the end of COVID is when he launched. So there's been a little bit of a delay, but yeah, I think the goal for Brandon is to get you first out there. We used to be Colorado Home Finder, 
And so the reason he went from the name change from Colorado Home Finder to You First Realty is that it didn't make any sense to be in another state called Colorado Home Finder, right? So um, that's why he changed to You First Realty. So I think that is the long-term goal. Uh, right now, there's my franchise. And then down in Colorado Springs, uh, Ricardo Novello has a franchise down there as well. So when it comes to someone wanting the franchise, does that person that's owning that franchise have to be a broker? You do. You do. Okay. Being a broker in, in most states is easier than people think. Um, people think it's very hard. The real estate exam, it's, and, and it's state dependent, right? So if, you, yeah. if you're in California and you want to get your real estate broker license, it is a, a daunting task. There's probably five or six books you need to read. There are uh, lots of hours of coursework you need to take. Here in Colorado, um, I mean, I, I went through that course very quickly. It was a 20-question exam, and it took longer to actually put together all put, put together all the settlement statements that I needed to show because there's a point system, right? So you've got you've to have had so many different types of each different type of deal, and so you've got to be able to accumulate enough points. So it took longer to put together the settlement statements than it did to take the exam and to study for the exam. So it's pretty easy here in Colorado. Um, in other states, it's more difficult. So it just kind of depends on where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a real estate agent on last week, and we kind of talked about the state of real estate now. Um, is How is it in Colorado right now? Colorado, I mean, it's slowed down over the peak from the COVID years because through COVID, it was insane. I mean, yeah. you were looking at, there were times that we were getting beat out 70, 80, $100,000 over asking 30, 40, 50 offers on a property. So it was, it was insane. We still have really low inventory. So in a healthy buyer's market, we've got somewhere between 25 and 35,000 properties on the market in Colorado. Right now we're running with about 6,000. And during the peak COVID times, we were down to about 2,500. So still a very strong seller's market. There's mm -hmm. still a lot of properties with multiple offers. But at the same time, if you know if you get out there and look, you can find properties where you're getting you know a little bit below asking. You're able to get seller concessions again. You can actually do an inspection on a property and ask a seller to fix things, which was, I mean, it was insane that for several years you couldn't, you know, you couldn't ask a seller to to do anything really because they were just going to take the next offer that wasn't asking that. That's insane. So go back like a year or so and you say that people are going to like a hundred grand over asking price. And that kind of, does that set a new home value? Say if you're in a neighborhood, does that set a new home value for that whole neighborhood now? Or does it? A hundred percent it does. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because that's the purchase price, right? And everybody thinks there's this myth on the market that, you know, doing a kitchen or a bathroom or something like that is a significant change to your home value. 90% mm -hmm. of where your home value comes from is what do your neighbors sell their houses for? Mm -hmm. um, a new bathroom and a new kitchen might make your house more attractive to the next house. So someone might be willing to pay a little bit more for it. They might be willing to buy it first. But most of the value of your home comes from what do your neighbors sell their homes for? That's insane. Yeah, because, you know, everybody always thinks, let me update my kitchen, update something. I mean, aesthetically, it's probably helping out. But what are other, other than kitchen and bathroom, what are some upgrades in a, on a real estate perspective that do help out um, the value of the home? I think it's really those things that people see first. So 
having a, a clean front yard, having a great looking front door. So as someone's approaching the home, they're not turned off before they ever get into the house. So that front facing property. And then also, I mean, that, that right as you walk in the entrance way, I think having, you know, nice flooring in there, clean paint. And then we've talked about kitchens, bathrooms, the master bedrooms. Um, weirdly enough in Colorado, backyards are starting to matter less and less. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen lots of homes sell it above asking with basically dirt backyards, it's just because by the time somebody gets to the backyard, most times they're either in love with the home or they're not right. So, and the back, the backyard landscaping is an in it. I mean, it's not free, but it's an inexpensive fix. It's things people can do on their own. People look, oh, I can buy sod cheap, or I can go out there and plant grass seed. I'm going to do a, a zero scape backyard anyway. I'm just going to throw rocks out there. So, you know, those things matter less. Uh, basements don't matter as much. I mean, what, a lot of people are happy to buy an unfinished basement, but I think it's all those things that happen as you get up to the house and then those hot buttons, which are, you know, master bathroom, master bedroom, kitchen. Those are all the things that people mainly care about because they're the things people don't want to redo. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you get, oh, sorry. How about the guts of the home, like water heaters, furnace, AC, all that stuff? You know, people will tell you they care, but when they get to the inspection, usually they don't. It's it's a point of negotiation. You know, I, I've definitely had clients who walk through and they're like, oh, this water, here's, water heater is 15 years old or this furnace is very old. And the question is, if the, if that furnace or water heater wasn't that age, would you still want to buy the house? Yes. Okay, great then let's deal with that during the inspection. Because if you love everything else about the house, we can always get you a home warranty or we can ask for a seller concession. Uh, those are things that can be negotiated through where, you know, if you've got to completely redo the kitchen, that can be twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000, even on a smaller home where a new water heater, you know, 1500 bucks and you could be, you could get yourself a new water heater. Yeah. How about when there's a house, maybe they're not in a subdivision, it's kind of, on its acreage um, and there's no house like it in its area. How do you go about getting that value of that home? Say it's like a 10 acre, nice log cabin in the middle of the woods. Yeah. So I do about 25% of my business in the mountains every year. So I've, I run into that situation quite a bit. And in that case, you really just got to widen your search. So look in a larger area. So a lot of times, you know, if you're comping homes in a subdivision, you're trying to stay within a quarter mile. You're trying to stay within 10, 15% of the square footage. You know, you're, you're trying to find homes that have recently sold that are as similar, maybe even the same floor plan as that house. When you get up into properties on acreage, and then you've, what you're going to do is you're going to widen your search. You're going to go a further distance out. You're going to look for more dissimilar homes, and then you're also going to go further back in time. So instead of looking in the last 90 days, maybe you go a year back. And then you're just going to try to find the closest thing you can to that house. And people think pricing a home for sale is a science. It's not. It's an art. And there's a lever. So really what you're saying is if we know we're going to price at the top of the market, we're probably going to spend more days on market. We know if we're going to price closer to the bottom of the range that 
we're going to spend less days on market, we're going to drive activity, and we're probably going to push the price up with multiple offers. And so what I do, I'm a little bit different than most agents, is I leave that up to the seller. I just explain to them, look, I think your house is worth between $750 and $780. The bottom of the range, we're probably going to get a few offers. The top of the range, we're going to be looking for somebody specific. And so they'll, they'll make that decision, and then I just ride with whatever their decision is. And the reason you do that is if they pick the price, if they set that, they're not mm -hmm. going to come back to you and blame you if it doesn't sell. Yeah. Um, it's hard to sell a house for too much because the market sets the price we don't. It's hard to set a house for too little because if you price it on the lower end of the range, you're going to get a bunch of activity and, and you're going to go about where it should go anyway. Oh, yeah. Real estate's very similar in the way of interior design. Like if I have a client that their budget's super small, but what they want on the on the list of what they want to done in their home is way above their budget. I literally couldn't, can't do anything um, because they're not able to give the money. But in real estate, if the seller wants the house to sell for more, what, what do you do? Cause you, you're kind of in a, a predicament there thinking like you're going to waste your time because your time's worth um, money too. Um, what do you do there? If they're, they're wanting an astronomical number up there. Uh, and again, this is not what most real estate agents do. Most real estate agents will tell somebody, I don't want you as a client if you're trying to overprice the market because I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. That is not me. I I don't have to sit in front of the house while it sits on the market, right? Like I never have to go back to a house. I'm going to put a sign in the market. I might run some open houses, but it's not really a sponge of my time. So if somebody has a $700,000 house and they want to try to sell it for $800,000, mm -hmm. I'm going to have that conversation that, hey, look, I think we're way overpriced on the market. You're going to spend some days on market. We're going to have to do some price drops if, it does, if we don't get activity within the first couple of weeks. And then I'm going to list it for what they want to list it for. And I'll give you an example. We did a commercial lease for a guy um, here a, a couple of months ago, and when we did, when we ran all of the comps, it came back at $15 a square foot, like 15 bucks a square foot was what it should have been at. And he said, Scott, we want to list it at 20. It was like 28 bucks a square foot. And so I, I said, okay, I mean, just know, like we might have to do some price drops. That's double what the market's asking. But if you want to list that price at $28 a square foot, there's nothing in the area that shows that, but let's do it. We put it on for $28 a square foot and ended up leasing that property for $28 a square foot. And so the way I look at it is if we go high and we don't get it, I look right. My client loves me. Yeah. If we go high and they get it, my client loves me because other agents already told them no. So there's no lose in it for me. And the clients, if you don't get activity, the client already knows we're going to do price drops. So I'm going to do what my client wants because that's what they're hiring me to do. I'm going to give them my opinion. But at the end of the day, it's their money, not mine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a good way to think about it because you just never know. You could be making more money if you just go for it and just sell it like your situation right there. Well, and what's funny is clients think, a lot of clients think real estate agents want to list high because they make more money in commission. If you look at the amount of money that, that you know, for 10 or 20 or $30,000 in value that we make more in commission, it's not that much. It's not worth, I'm not going to try to push a client for $600, right? Like that's a waste of my time. Um, 
But I mean, and I'm not saying I turn the money down, but I'm just saying there's no, very few real estate agents are going to risk their reputation over a few hundred or a couple of thousand dollars. We get paid just fine off what we make on real estate commission. So I always just let the client make that decision because it's their property. And sometimes they've been in that home for 30, 40 years and they have an emotional attachment that I don't have. And it may take them a month on the market above value to start to break some of that emotional attachment have the the spouse in their ear like, hey, I'd like to spend this money on a cruise. Can we drop the price and sell it? And so I let them kind of go through their process that they need to go through to to come to the right price. Oh, very cool. How about when it comes to agents? I know in the in the past couple of years with COVID and everything, everybody wanted to be a uh, real estate agent. I feel like every single time I went on social <laughs> media, someone was becoming a real estate agent. Um, is that still the case now with the market? You know, kind of no, we're getting a lot of agents get out. A lot of part-time agents are getting out of the market. A lot of, you know, for for example, we've got about 40,000. We have about 40,000 agents total here, about 20,000 active agents. Um, but if you look at the agents that actually do a significant amount of business, you're looking at maybe three or 4,000 agents. So mm -hmm. to me, all of those other, you know, 37,000 agents, if they get out of the business, all it does is help my market share. Yeah. Um, the average agent nationwide does probably three or four deals a year. If you span that across a 10-year career, that's 30 or 40 deals. Um, I, I've done that in a year, right? So it, it is wow. really helpful as a lot of these agents get out of the business. It makes your job easier because when you've had somebody who's been in the business a long time but doesn't do a lot of business, a lot of times they're a hindrance to deals. They're not a help because they're not understanding the current market and what's going on today. Yeah. If, I feel like that's just kind of like so many years ago when everybody started flipping houses, it became like the end thing to do. And as they start flipping, they start losing money because they just don't know what they're doing. Um, it's just kind of the same situation. Did you know that kind of going through COVID, seeing all these agents coming about, you're like, God, oh, it's only going to last so long? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. The cool thing was that I'll we're in a unique market in Colorado. And I mean, there's definitely ego in this business here in Colorado. So I'm not going to say there's not. And there's some agents who you see their name and you just wish you didn't have to do a deal with them. <laughs> but it's not like some other states. I mean, you see how I'm dressed. I'm in a polo. A lot of times my clients know me to show up in my Star Wars t-shirt and, you know, and jeans. We're in a much more laid back market than, than a lot of other markets. So we get away with a lot in Colorado and most agents are very easy to work with. Most agents, everybody wants to get the deal done. You know, and like I said, there's definitely some agents that make it difficult, but for the most part, we've got a really great community here. Yeah. So how does it go when a seller um, comes to you to maybe possibly sell their home are they looking at multiple agents at the same time are they are they pricing it out kind of like a yeah any type of home? oh really yeah huh. there's for the most you know and it's different when a lot of my business is from referrals so mm -hmm. past clients and those those folks are rarely shopping me um but if you you know we also my business was built on online leads and so whenever you're, you're dealing with an online lead when they go to my website they've been to four or five others all of them are getting calls from other agents. So you're usually, you've got to, even if they don't tell you, you've usually got to assume you're competing with some other people. Yeah, that's, that's, I never really thought of it that way. That's, that's crazy that that's, happens in real estate. Huh. Is it the same way in interior design? Oh yeah. It's almost every job you get at least, people are at least getting three quotes. That's, 
But I mean, that's I mean, I even do that when it, like I just got a new furnace and I got three quotes. So you have to. I, we were buying a furnace maybe seven years ago. I went to Home Depot. They told me like thirteen thousand dollars. I went to another company. They told me like six, and then the company that ended up doing it did it for four, and that furnace still works today. Yeah. So you know, you're it. It's a hindrance if you don't, and especially with real estate agents. You know, people think they're that clients are shopping for money differences. What they're shopping for is personality differences. Not everybody works well with everybody else. And so I think that's what really separates you from other agents is the ability to connect with people and the rapport building. A lot of people come in with a book of information. I don't even go in with any of that. I just go, I mean, I've gotten a lot of my deals just based off uh, my smile and my personality because I can talk numbers all day long. But a lot of what people want to talk about is their history in the home, the updates they've done, why they're moving, why they're selling. Um, and so, you know, just letting people be themselves and, you know, being somebody that they can talk to easily will separate yourself because the money part's always negotiable. Like I'm never going to lose a deal because of money, uh, but where you will lose a deal is if you don't build a real connection with that client. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was early on in my career, I was trained on the disc system. I don't know if you you've ever heard of that, but yes, I, that's huge. I think any salesperson, cause it takes the ego out. As soon as you see someone, you know how to treat that person. Um, and some people might think that's like use car salesmen kind of giving them what they want, but in re reality, it helps you just in life, just be able to treat the person that you're talking to and relationships and stuff the way that they want to be treated. So you could actually like fulfill their needs and, you know, and understanding personality types in sales is the same thing as understanding engine types in, in being a mechanic, right? Like you wouldn't treat a semi-truck the same way you would treat a, 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 you know, a Prius. You're going to, you're going to work on them differently. And so you have to understand personality types as a salesperson, because if you're trying to sell to somebody who cares, cares about numbers with, with personality, it's not going to work. You've got to give them the numbers in order for them to get buy into the other piece and vice versa. So understanding how, how you move the ball forward with different personality types is extremely important in any sales business. And if you don't read books and listen to audio books and pay attention to that stuff, you're going to be way behind and you're going to be that salesperson that says nobody wants to buy from me. And that's true. Nobody does. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm so glad. I mean, a lot of those things, just like I said before, they help you out with more than just for your professional career. It just helps you out in just general. Um, and I think everybody should do that. Is there something that you see a trait that uh, maybe you're seeing with like the newer agents that you think maybe that shouldn't be it? Or maybe like, you're seeing a big group of these agents thinking one way about real estate. And that's the reason why they're getting into it. Um, that you think maybe if they're thinking that way, don't get in it. Like one way I can explain it for interior design, they see what it's like on TV and it's really not like that. Um, and usually if you're in it for that reason, you're going to be out in like a year or so. I think there's a couple of them. Number one is exactly what you just said. Somebody that's watched a bunch of house hunters or million dollar yeah. agent and they think, you know, that's what real estate is. And the reality, real estate is two things. It's being in your car 
all the time. I drove 40,000 miles last year. I drove 4,000 miles in the month of August. Um, and the other piece is you're on the phones all the time. It's prospecting. And I think a lot of agents, and this is this is something very common in our industry, is agents want agents will say, I don't want to build my business based on leads. What I want to do is I want to build a social media presence and I want to get leads from social media. Mm -hmm. Well, leads are leads. It doesn't matter where they come from. And it's not that there aren't agents out there who built an amazing business on social media. I would challenge that those agents who have built an amazing business based on social media had an amazing business before that. And then they started putting it on social media, right? So all yeah. of the groundwork was done and then they made their brand on social media mm -hmm. where when you're a brand new agent, if you're just trying to run social media campaigns, it's very difficult. It can be really expensive. And for the most part, it's not going to be successful for a longer period of time. And so I think people think, you know, I'm just going to come in and make some TikTok videos or some Instagram posts. And all of a sudden people are going to flow to me with, with wanting to use me. And the reality is it takes hours of prospecting every single day in order to be successful at this job. And there's no way around that. It, oh, yeah. and people, yeah, you, you, it took me three years of prospecting every day to build a business that requires me to prospect much less. And if you're not willing to prospect until you get to a hundred clients, you're never going to make it to a hundred clients. And when I say never, that doesn't mean nobody will ever do it. There will be people who do it. There are people who are social media geniuses who can get out there and do things that the average person can't. But for the average agent, it takes prospecting for years to be able to build a business that generates itself. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the same with interior design. I think a lot of just the way society goes, I'm a big person on social media. I mean, like I, I help brands and stuff, but it's social media is strictly just a tool. It's, it's not, it's not the way it's not like your website. It's not like it's the actual brand that you are trying to run. It's strictly just a tool to help maybe get more following, but it also just helps you out with brand identity for the most part. Um, in my opinion, at least, uh, I mean, you can do those campaigns as much as you want, but it's really just there for other people to see what you're doing and kind of keep track of what you're doing. Well, and I think too, if somebody's interviewing you, right. And you're on social media and they can Google you and they use the Google and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's Eric. I love this work he's done. Then it, it is a validation of their, of the potential trust that they're going to give you. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden they've seen you in in another space and they can trust that you're going to be able to do that where, you know, and again, I, for most people, it's not going to. I actually had a an agent who left the brokerage because he was I've, I had two agents, one that left the brokerage because they were going to go to a bigger name brokerage. And that bigger name brokerage was going to do social media campaigns to his old clients. Well, he only had 10 old clients. So he's done two deals this year, right? Like it's not helping him. And the other agent said, Hey, Scott, I don't want to call leads. I can't see myself doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this brokerage. Who's going to market me to social media. And that agent doesn't live in the state anymore and is no longer in the business. Um, so for most people, you got to, and I, I think that's where a, many new agents struggle Mm -hmm. is the dedication to prospecting and anybody that's built any business. I don't care if it's real estate, interior design. If you're an entrepreneur and you're going to build a business, the first three years is when everybody fails. 
So you better be willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do for three years because that will change your life. If you don't, if you're not willing to do the things, if you don't get uncomfortable, if you don't get comfortable being uncomfortable, as they say, you don't put in the work, you're going to be one of the, you know, 95% of people that fail where that 5% of people that don't fail, it's because they do all of the things that other people aren't willing to do. Is door knocking still a very big thing in real estate? You know, it's not as big. So <laughs> there are a lot of people that door knock. It is not my yeah. thing. Um, but there, you know, I've got an agent who she goes all the time and puts out uh, in her neighborhood, hangs little goodie bags on people's doors and door hangers. So it is still a thing. In Colorado, we only get like four or five months a year where you want to do that because otherwise you're going to be real cold. Um, but yeah, it, it is still a thing, although it's not as popular. But I definitely know agents who've been successful doing it. Yeah, I, I know I get the mail. Like I'll have agents like, oh, I have a client that's looking in your neighborhood or your area. So I definitely get those, but I've never had an agent actually knock on my door and actually request to talk to me. And to me, if you're going to send those mailers out, you know, you've got to, so this may not make any sense, but I'm a former infantryman. And if you set an ambush, right, you always set an ambush by somewhere where you set some type of obstacle. So you, you throw some, you throw something in the road, you set up an ambush on the side of the road, and that's how you catch the people in the ambush. And I look at mailers and door knocking is the same tandem, right? If you're going to send out mailers, you better be door knocking in that neighborhood or find some way for those people in that neighborhood to know you because everybody gets so much junk mail that you're just a face on a postcard. They're going to throw you away. Yeah. But if they've met you through a community meeting or next door or knocked on their door or something else that allows you to get in front of them, then when they see your face on that postcard, it means something to them. So I think you've got to tandem that with some type of community outreach uh, to really make that effective. Yeah. And that's another way with, if we go back to social media, um, if people just know you from online and they don't have never actually met you, I mean, networking goes a whole, I know in my business, it, it helps out so much just joining the different groups. I mean, you could go to HOA meetings, you could go to all this different stuff to just network. Yeah, no, absolutely. I talked to, she doesn't work for me, but, um, I talked to an agent. We had breakfast the other day, and this is her fourth market. She's a commercial agent. This is the fourth market she started up in. And what she does is join the Rotary Club and the Chamber of Commerce. Hmm. And, you know, she's working on like a $14 million hotel deal based off a conversation that started with her at the Chamber of Commerce. So there are really important ways that you can get in front of the community. And I think if you want to be successful in certain venues, you've got to get yourself in front of the community. Otherwise, you're just another name. You're just another face. You're yeah. one of 40,000 and you've got to find your way to separate yourself. Oh, yeah. And networking so powerful. Well, I want to end this episode, Scott, with um, any how people could follow you, maybe on LinkedIn, social media, or where they could find your um, company. And maybe if yeah. they're willing to go franchise. Our website is easy. It's just youfirstinfinity.com and it's Y-O-U, the number one, S like Sam, T like Tom, infinity.com. The best way to get in touch with me is my cell phone, 720-252-7037. Um, I always answer my phone. You can call me anytime. I'm always available. It's never a bother. And then all my social media links are on the website at the bottom. So um, you can get to me through there very easily. 
Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and can't wait to get this one out.